quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Don't underestimate your abilities and don't underestimate your creativity. A lot of people freak out because they see something so big and they think, I can't do this or I don't want to do this. Their stomach starts to turn a little bit. Get over it. Get past it. What do they say? Fortune favors the bold. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Hello, Best Ever listeners. Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Ash Patel, and I'm with today's guest, Kyle Stevie. Kyle is joining us from Fort Thomas, Kentucky. Kyle is a returning guest on this episode. Our last conversation that we had, we started to talk about a building that he was in the process of renovating. And fair disclosure, best ever listeners, Kyle's been a good friend of mine for a number of years. And for quite some time, we've talked about this building and it seemed like a never ending project. Kyle's going to share a lot of lessons learned, the evolution of this entire process of getting an absolutely beautiful, historic, I'm going to call it a mid-rise building up and running. He's also a second-time guest on the show. So if you Google Joe Fairless and Kyle Stevie, the first episode will pop up. Kyle, thank you for joining us. And how are you feeling today? Feeling good. Got a little good. bit of an eye well, injury di- from jujitsu, but other than that, I'm good. Well, let's dive into this property. Give the best ever listeners the background of how you found this deal, what you were looking for when you found this deal, and how this whole renovation process went. Okay. So I guess when we, you and I started hanging out for the first time, we had started up, we called it a mastermind because we thought that's what you're supposed to call all of your real estate <laughs> meetups, but it was just a big real estate meetup in Covington, Kentucky, like we said last time, right across the river from Cincinnati. And that was the beginning of my cousin, Joe and I, and my cousin, Ben, Joe's brother into taking what Joe was doing on his own and what I was doing and trying to make it into a, a bigger deal. Because as I said before, I've been in Joe Fairless's mastermind education class about syndicating apartment buildings. And I thought that that was the route that I was going to go like hundreds of thousands of other people. It, it seemed like when we ever we went to look at a property, everybody and their sister had already gone to see it. So we realized that we were not going to beat anybody to anything that was ever listed. So we had these meetups and word got out that we were looking for larger properties couple million dollars or larger. And my cousin, Joe, he's connected very well with a lot of the young movers and shakers in Covington. And for those that don't know anything about Covington, Kentucky, it is kind of the trendy place to be in greater Cincinnati right now, in my opinion. The city is very aggressive in bringing businesses in. It's very open and working with businesses and getting the financing and funding that they need for their projects. As long as you can show that you're going to bring X amount of employees to your property or X amount of residents. So we had contacts inside of Covington's city government, inside of, it's called the Catalytic Fund, which they're a private company, but they work with the city on pretty much every building there. They run deep dive pro formas on properties. They help with raising additional financing. If you run into a deal where you underestimated your construction costs or whatever you need, they're willing to provide financing. And he also had contacts with general contractors and an architect for uh, Tyler Watkins with our work architect. So we were kicking around ideas of what to do. And 
Tyler was doing the private residence of a pretty big real estate owner in Covington. And that guy was looking to sell one of his buildings to take advantage of the Opportunity Zone Fund from 2019 when you were still getting 15 basis points off of your capital gains. And he was building a huge addition to what's called Hotel Covington, which is probably a preeminent hotel in Cincinnati. He wanted to sell the building to us and then he was going to take his gains and he was going to roll it all over to this huge addition he just completed. So that's how we found it. The architect was working on his private residence and he needed a buyer. So that's Describe basically how it came about. Describe that building. The building is well, six stories. We're making it seven stories. The building is right in the heart of Covington, right on Madison, which is one of the busiest streets that you're going to find in Kentucky in terms of commercial streets. It has banks, restaurants, businesses all up and down it. It's probably about 13 blocks from the river past the cathedral where there are businesses everywhere. A lot of foot traffic. The building itself was built in 1908. It was a bank originally. It still has a bank. And that's one of the cool features of it is that it has three of these old vaults in the basement. And one of the vaults still has deposits from 1955 in them, which is wild. So there's a developer here in this area that was very much in the 1970s, 1980s mindset of energy efficiency and architecture and aesthetic look be damned. He was going to maximize the money he could make from his properties. So we had to open up a lot of things, actually just gutted it, totally renovated everything. The elevator that was in it was from 1908. So it was not ADA compliant. We knew we needed to get a new elevator in there. So we had to rip out the elevator, rip out the shaft, cut in a new cavern for lack of a better term, so that we could build a new shaft to house a new elevator. And then we decided that we were going to do a rooftop bar that eventually turned into a rooftop restaurant. So that's in the process of being finished now, hopefully. Kyle, when you purchased this property, what was it about this building that drew your attention? What was the street like back then? Was it a hot spot? Yeah. If you want to go back in the time, Newport, which is right across the Licking River, which is also right across from Cincinnati. Covington and Newport are right across each other from the Licking River. Newport was the entertainment place for the mafia. The Cleveland syndicate had properties all over. You had guys like Tony Curtis and the Rat Pack, and all these guys would perform at these different bars in Covington. They had speakeasies. If you go there now, you can do the underground mafia tours, and they'll show you all the cool things that was happening. Newport was the original Sin City before Las Vegas. That's what it was called. So... Covington was the business center. So you had Northern Kentucky's business center on one side. You had the entertainment center on the other side. Well, after the mafia got disbanded out of there, both cities kind of went to hell. For whatever reason, Cincinnati did not value riverfront property at all. The Cincinnati side had the two stadiums. They had a bunch of gravel and drywall factories and scrap yards. It was not a very attractive place. About 2000, they started realizing that there was a lot of money that they were allowing to just sit in decrepit properties. So Covington and Newport particularly got very aggressive in buying up the property and bringing in businesses and bringing in retail. So Covington's seen a revitalization in the last, I'd say, 15 years. It's been pretty epic to watch. So now you can go there and you can find some of the best food you can find in the area. It's got a pretty decent art scene for the size of Covington. You've been there with me. You, you feel energy when you walk out on Madison, when you're walking around. And that was on like a Tuesday or something we were out. Yeah. So thanks for the history lesson. However, my question was, when you were looking to purchase this building, was that street a hotspot? 
Oh yeah. Okay, cool. So you knew yeah. that that area was on the verge of booming and already transitioning to a hotspot. It was booming because we got it off market and it was a personal relationship. We got the building for a really good price. Got it. Okay. Were you hesitant at all? Cause you had not done commercial deals like this really at all before, right? Not this size. No. Well, I was not hesitant because I knew that I had to do something to get proof of work out there. I had two smaller properties in Fort Thomas and they're nice, but you're never going to be able to replace your income with, with the size of those two buildings. So we really, really needed something to show that we knew how to build something larger. Because eventually... Courageous yeah. move, because this was not an easy lift. To this day, I'd be fairly skeptical in doing that project, but kudos to you for taking this down. So purchase price was what? Two million. Two million. Estimated rehab costs at inception were... Once we had to take the elevator to the basement, it was $3.2 million. So it's $5.2 million building. Okay. So $3.2 million was your initial projection? No, that's what it's wound up being. And the initial projection was right around 2.75. Okay. So you weren't terribly far off. No, we kind of gave ourselves a little bit of leeway. We didn't take financing until we needed it, but we knew we had access to it. So okay. once we ran the numbers with a cap rate of right around five and a half for class A triple net building there. We knew we were going to be right around $8.5 million building once it was fully up and running. So you knew the end result could be very profitable. Yes. Financing a $2 million building with only one tenant on one out of seven floors. Was that correct? We had two, but one left as soon as the renovation started. All right. So mostly vacant building. How do you get financing on that? Well, we still had the bank. They operated the full time through. And they Please had, tell me that bank did the loan. <laughs> they did the loan. Yeah. Oh, wow. Good. <laughs> yeah. yeah they, they did the loan. It was really weird how the financing went because the building had to be closed in 2019, but we couldn't get all of what we needed to get for the bank to be happy with what we needed to do for the rehab until 2020. So we had to close two separate loans. You work with a municipality that wants to work with you. And like I said, the Catalytic Fund worked with the bank and they worked with the Sawyer's Group who owned the building. And he has a lot of influence. So we were able to break it up into two parts. We didn't have to close all in one closing, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. So Kyle, when you work with those funds, did you have to prove yourself to them? We're lucky we had deep pockets behind us. That helped. We had enough investors with us that they felt comfortable with if we had to sign off, we could handle whatever the expense was until the building was up and running. Okay, so you're, uh, we, well, you're, Joe, you're well capitalized. Yeah, we put $800,000 down. We put almost half of the value of the building down. And Joe and his friends down in Covington have done a lot of projects with the city. So they were familiar with the fact that they'd actually completed projects inside of the constraints of whatever the city was laying on them depending on whether it's a historic building or whether they had to change zoning or for whatever. They knew that they were easy to work with. And that's important. So you are well-capitalized and well-connected with a good team in front of you. Yes. A good team in a good city. I don't think we would have been able to pull this off in Cincinnati. We wouldn't have been able to do this anywhere else. Covington, like I said, is very aggressive. And they saw that this building as was with the elevator currently in it, they knew that this building was sitting on basically five vacant floors where employment taxes could be captured. They were willing to, I guess, roll the dice, so to speak, kind of an educated guess with us, but it wasn't like a gamble, I wouldn't say. 
All right. And refresh me on the two closings. Explain that to me again, please. We bought the building. We put $800,000 down for the building. And then once we had our pro forma and our suppliers rounded up and we went to them, they were like, okay, now we can close on the construction portion of your loan. Got it. Okay. So you got the money for construction. How much was that? The full construction budget? The bank gave us $2 million. That was part of the original. And then Catalytic brought in the rest. So we were at right around 2.9 at that point. And then the city actually gave us two different loans to do the facade because we were going to need all new windows. So the facade loan was $175,000 that we have to pay back because 0% interest though. It's crazy. And then the other one is forgivable, $200,000, as long as we spent the $175,000 right away for the facade. I mean, we covered that pretty easily with the windows. So that part's been forgiven. Out of all the money that you had, all of it was loans except for one forgivable $200,000 grant, but none of it was free money. 0% interest is kind of free money, but we have to pay it back. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you didn't get any free money. You got some interest-free money. Okay, cool. So now you should be feeling pretty good, right? You're well-capitalized for your rehab. Work starts. You've got a GC, and now the story begins. (laughs) Yeah, COVID happened. So Cincinnati made it difficult for people to do construction because everybody was worried about the pandemic. But we were able to continue doing construction in Kentucky because they're still considered essential employees. It was just an issue of getting product to you. The supply chain crunch hit us just like it hit everybody else and just delayed and delayed and delayed. And then getting actual subcontractors to jobs at that time was difficult because they could pretty much pick and choose their jobs at that time. We'll get back to the show with first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Are you looking to raise money from private investors to buy commercial real estate? Syndicationattorneys.com is here to guide you every step of the way. At syndicationattorneys.com, they do more so you can do more. They create real estate syndication and fund offering documents, but they also educate you on the ins and outs of raising private money, ensure your offerings comply with securities laws, and help you structure fair deals with investors so everybody wins. With reasonable lump sum fees and over $2.75 billion in securities offerings created, syndicationattorneys.com has the expertise you need. But that's not all. SyndicationAttorneys.com also offers weekly attorney-led masterminds, networking, and strategy sessions through their pre-syndication consulting agreements. To learn more, visit SyndicationAttorneys.com today to get started. This offer is not available to Florida residents. Deciding how to invest your capital is more challenging than ever. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company with a solid track record and that has thrived through various economic cycles. Companies like BAM Capital. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator that has delivered a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. BAM Capital has never missed a preferred payment, never lost an LP's investment, and never called capital past the subscription amount. BAM Capital is currently raising capital for a fund designed for accredited investors targeting a 15 to 20% IRR and a 2 to 2.5x equity multiple to its investors over a three to five year hold period. If you're an accredited investor and you want to learn more about multifamily investment opportunities with BAM Capital, visit capital.thebamcompanies.com. Again, that's capital.thebamcompanies.com. 
thebamcompanies.com. What was your mindset at the time? Did you think that this project has a chance of failing? I don't like to think of failure as an option. I felt like we were going to make it happen no matter what. In the middle of this, we got $500,000. We got a historic tax credit buyer and they gave $500,000 that we would have had in reserves if we needed it, but we were going to use towards paying down the mezzanine debt that we had taken. So we knew that we had that in the background if we needed it, but we had 18 months or whatever on the construction line before we had to start paying. And we were able to push back our payment on the principal of the actual mortgage for six months. The bank worked with us pretty fairly with taking into account what was going on around the country at the time. I'm sure the last thing they wanted to have was a vacant commercial building on their hands to have to find a buyer and go through this all over again. One of which they're a tenant in, especially. Exactly. Okay, good. I like that. At what point did you start putting out feelers for tenants pre-leasing? Right away. Okay. The issue is when you don't have an elevator and you walk through it, everything was down to the studs and to the brick. There was nothing in there. And it's hard for people to visualize what something can be. Tyler did a great job with his mock-ups. They're beautiful. And I thought that would help a little bit more than it did, but... Until that elevator was ready to rock, people weren't very receptive. It took some finagling and talking. But as of right now, the top three floors are fully occupied. The third floor, we're in the final stages of a lease. The rooftop bar and restaurant should be open, I would say, by the end of July. And then all we'll have is the second floor that's vacant. Was the rooftop bar part of the original plan? Yes. That was always going to be part of the plan. The restaurant part was not. So that was an extra cost that we didn't believe we were going to run into. But apparently the I-beams on the roof, in certain spots, they were 16 inches too narrow or 32 inches too wide. So we had to rip the top off the roof and move some I-beams around because they decided they wanted to do a restaurant. A bar apparently in a restaurant, from what they told me, and I could be wrong, has different weight PSIs requirements. So we had to stabilize it for a restaurant. We also needed to have cold storage for the restaurant. So they decided to take the elevator to the basement, which changed how we were going to do the machine room and everything. And then that meant that we had to underpin the foundation because the elevator was going to go all the way to the basement and the shaft was going to have to go deeper. But we still stayed within that 3.2. So we're okay there. I remember having these conversations with you and you were focused on having a rooftop bar. And I didn't say this to you, but I'm like, Focus on getting tenants inside the building. Stop worrying about the roof. Did that come across your mind? Did you ever think, forget the rooftop. Let's focus on filling inside these four walls that we have. No, because I felt like that would be the easiest tenant to get. And I felt like the second and third floors are going to be difficult to lease. The square footage for each floor is feasible for any midsize company. It's only like 2,100 to 4,200 square feet, depending on how the building's cut up where you're at. With the service elevator impact some of the floors in the back. But I felt like people were going to be more interested in going in the types of businesses that we were looking at with a rooftop bar restaurant up there because it was going to drive more foot traffic to the building, if that makes sense. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I commend you for having that vision, but that was just a bold move. But thinking about that, would you recommend people go big on everything they do or just Go mediocre, cash flow, focus on getting money in. What are your thoughts? I don't think there's a one size fits all answer for everybody. There's so many variables in it. So 
we had a great team. We had the money. We wanted to go big because we want to do other properties around here. If we're not going to be the ones that are renovating a property or buying, we wanted people to approach us about investing in their deals. And we thought we needed a flagship type property to do it. And we weren't getting any traction because we were competing with all of the California, New York, and coastal money when it came to any apartment community that came online. We weren't getting those offers first. It wasn't like multifamily guys were coming to us and saying, hey, this is going to go on the market in six months. Are you guys interested? I say this is like a once in a lifetime opportunity, right? You get a $2 million building that's undervalued that you get off market. You have to take full advantage of it. That was our mindset going into it. We weren't going to get another opportunity to do something like this. And that's why people like you and I love commercial real estate. We don't have that level of competition. There's not a bunch of coastal players chasing mostly vacant seven-story historic building. No, they want it when we have the the building fully leased with triple net leases and they can see what the net operating income is and that's when they'll be interested in it. Yeah. What types of tenants started occupying this property? The ones that I thought we would, because we have a federal courthouse block over from us. So we have the law firm. I didn't know we have a data storage company. We have a data storage company. I think the third floor is a, is a logistics company, which is all the rave here in Cincinnati. Cincinnati is a big brokerage hub. So the kind of things you think you would get, I thought we'd probably have a CPA in there at some point, but we didn't, or some sort of financial services provider, but we still got one floor. So we'll see what happens. Kyle, when you gutted each floor, did you start building it back or did you wait for a tenant to figure out where they wanted offices and walls and bathrooms? We just white boxed it. So we didn't create any office space. We didn't build conference rooms or anything like that. We took the existing floor plan in regards to the restrooms, but that's about it. And now that you and your team are on the map as great developers, what's the next project for you? Get this one completely finished so I don't end up in a divorce. (laughs) (laughs) I've just got a dirty look. (laughs) Are you you looking for your next project or are you going to really wrap this one up first? We're going to wrap this one up first. We're behind by about a year where we should be due to multiple things that I don't really want to air out on the podcast, but we need to get this up and running. We need to get our reserves built up. And then from there, we can see how we can either leverage this or how our investors feel about seeking other opportunities. I feel like in the next two years, is there a lot of other people's loans mature and their five years are up and they have to figure out how to make 8% interest rates work for them. I feel like the opportunity is going to be there to take advantage of that. I agree with you. What was the elevator issue and how much time did that cost you? Well, the elevator issue was that I got to do this judiciously. And it was from 1908, right? This elevator? The issue with that was easy. That was just a demo. That wasn't the problem. The problem was the installation. That delayed us probably by about eight months because they kept having issues with the installation. The elevator kept shutting down. They wouldn't tell us. They wouldn't come fix it. They kept saying it was this, it was that. That was the issue with it. We just now got it stabilized or it's actually functioning the way it's supposed to function. And from today, June of 23, how many years or months have you had this project? We actually closed on the construction loan. 1st of May, 2020. So we're over three years. 
And how many windows did you end up replacing? I don't know. A hundred maybe. The whole thing's nothing but windows. It's yeah. crazy. It's a wild building. Do you mind sharing the address so our listeners could do a Google Street view of it? Yeah, it's 535 Madison Avenue, Covington, Kentucky. If you look on dot loop, it's easier to see the architect's renderings of it. The three companies that are in, that's exactly what their office space looks like. Most of them went with what Tyler had and they put their touches to it, but it's pretty much the same idea. You said dot loop, you mean loop net. Sorry. I keep thinking of dot loop because of my yeah. partner on my co-host, my podcast. Yeah. And your podcast is? Side Hustle City. It is and... not PG rated. <laughs> Kyle, your advice to some of our best ever listeners that are looking at doing a heavy lift on an old historic building? Well, I would say if you don't have the team in place, be a passive investor. That's what I would do. I would not spearhead this. This is what Joe does all day long. So my cousin has been at the building almost the whole time. So that was huge having boots on the ground. We had a lot of money behind us that we didn't even tap into what they were capable of giving us. It was kind of like a, here's this, let's see what how it goes type deal. Do not promise returns. I will tell you that. We broke this building down into five shares and I promised returns on one of the shares. So I've been paying those out of pocket quarterly, which sucks. So don't do that. If you have experience with this, I would say don't underestimate what you're able to do. Don't underestimate your abilities and don't underestimate your creativity. A lot of people freak out because they see something so big and they think, I can't do this or I don't want to do this. Their stomach starts to churn a little bit. Get over it. Get past it. Whether they say fortune favors the bold. So I felt like if I'm not going to be able to live the life that I wanted to live, it wasn't going to be because I didn't give it a shot. It's just going to be because it didn't work out. That's always been my mindset. Yeah. Incredible advice there. In terms of investors, what annualized return do you envision them receiving? I have no idea at this point. Everybody brought in something different. The shares are valued at $160,000, but some people like the GC and the architect got a share and they only brought 10 each. So they offset their portion of work until they got to the $160,000 total. Joe did the same thing with his for being the project manager. Other groups like my group brought in 240, another group brought in 225, and another group brought in 225. So we do those three, we're going to get paid the returns first and then get down to 160. And then once we get down to 160 and we're stabilized, cash flowing, we're looking at right around 240K a year. So whatever $45,000 divided by 165 is, is what their return would be. And then you're planning on exiting this property. As soon as it's fully leased, are you selling it? No, I think that this is one that we'll hold on to for a while. It's just such a good location. It's one of those properties, I guess we could, we would have to have something awesome lined up so that we're replacing what we would be cash flowing 45K per share is pretty good per year. And as we pay down, we're only, I'd say about 10 years away from being paid off because our mezzanine debts can be paid off with that historic tax credit. Then we're looking at cash flowing even more. So I don't see us selling this at least for 10 years. It's certainly a landmark building. It's beautiful. Kyle, Stevie, thank you for sharing this story. Incredibly courageous move that you made to take down a heavy lift. Thanks for walking us through it. No problem. I would love to be able to have a B minus property that we could turn into a B plus property and renovate apartments while we have tenants paying rent in other apartments. But 
we didn't have that luxury. Hopefully in the future, perhaps, but right now we don't have that luxury. So we had to take what we could get. And then, like I said, this was such a huge opportunity. We could not pass it up. Yeah. Again, congratulations for having that vision and executing an incredible project. I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Awesome. Best ever listeners. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star review. Share this podcast with someone you think can benefit from it. Also, follow, subscribe, and have a best ever day. Hi, best ever listeners. Joe Fairless here again. And one last thing before you go, would you like to receive a short weekly email with proven tips from experienced investors, free tools and resources, and a roundup of the week's most relevant news and best ever content? Well, if so, Join the community of nearly 15,000 commercial real estate passive and active investors who receive the best ever newsletter. Just go to bestevercre.com forward slash access and you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, thank you for listening and have a best ever day.